0: Tonight, straight from the source, to the target, Donald Trump. He tells the world that he has gotten another target letter from the special counsel, this time in the January 6th investigation, a sign that charges could be imminent. We heard from him just moments ago. We'll tell you what he said. Plus, for the very first time, suspects have been charged in a 2020 fake elector scheme. 16 people accused of multiple felonies in the state of Michigan. Who are they and what does this mean for the other fake electors in other states? Also, a judge appointed by Trump says she'll decide, quote, promptly on a trial date in the classified documents case, how that could impact the campaign calendar. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. It is 9 p.m. Eastern, and the Trump headlines just keep on coming tonight. The biggest one being broken by the former president himself, he says that he has been informed by the special counsel that he's a target in the federal January 6th investigation. In his own words, that quote almost always means an arrest and an indictment is coming. He does have some experience with this. Trump also got a target letter shortly before he was indicted in the documents case. But this is what he's saying tonight.
1: Now I'm like becoming an expert. I have no choice. If you say something about an election, they want to put you in jail for the rest of your life. It's a disgrace.
0: We also have new reporting out of Arizona, where I have learned that the former governor, Doug Ducey, has been contacted by Jack Smith's team as a potential witness. Of course, Ducey was pressured by Trump after the 2020 election, and recently said he was surprised that he hadn't yet heard from the special counsel. But wait, there is more. In a separate state investigation in Michigan, yes, we know that this is a lot to keep up with, but there, 16 fake elector suspects have now been charged with felonies, This marks the first time that anyone has been charged with a crime related to that fake elector scheme.
2: They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors, and each of the defendants knew it.
0: And in the state of Florida, where Trump is facing charges for mishandling classified documents, we could hear from Judge Eileen Cannon really any moment now on when that trial could take place. Joining me now, former Trump attorney Tim Parlatori, who I should note is currently representing the former New York City police commissioner, Bernie Carrick, in the special counsel's election interference investigation. Tim, we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, just on this news that Trump himself broke this morning, I mean, what do you make of the target letter? Do you think it means that, that Trump is on the verge of being indicted again?
3: You know, I don't know, it, it's, it's an odd use of target letters that is something the DOJ traditionally uses to send to you know, lower and mid-level people uh, in an alleged conspiracy in an effort to try and you know, give them an opportunity pre-indictment to cooperate against the higher ups and so as far as your usual litigation strategies, it doesn't really seem to fit to send one to a person like Donald Trump. So, in some ways, it kind of looks like a publicity stunt, uh, but at the same time, they didn't publicize it. They let him publicize it. So it's really kind of an odd um, an odd object in this thing.
0: But is it a publicity stunt? I mean, if, if they're not the ones who, who put it out there, Trump's the one who put it out there.
3: Right. It, it is, which makes it all the more weird because I don't understand you know what the value. Of a target letter to Donald Trump has, you know, they do have legitimate uh, purposes. They're used quite effectively in other cases, but sending one to, you know, to the uh, to the top potential defendant and somebody who's definitely not going to be interested in any type of a plea agreement doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. So I don't know if they, you know, we're doing it just to preempt with the Michigan charges or what. Uh, but it just—it does seem to be a departure from normal GO, DOJ procedures.
0: But when you say you're not sure what value it has, I mean, wouldn't they be mad if they right. did not get a heads up that he was about to be indicted potentially?
3: Well, but here's the thing. DOJ, the use of a target letter, that is not something that's required. And would they be upset that they don't get a heads up? They usually get a heads up when the indictment happens you know, once an indictment is voted out, then they would get a heads up, hey, we've got an indictment, so let's schedule an arraignment. Getting a heads up ahead of time is not something that is required by the rules. It's something that is used for specific purposes, none of which are really applicable here. And so it just, it strikes me as something that they, you know, wouldn't normally do. And, you know, doing it here is very out of the ordinary.
0: But is it out of the ordinary? I mean, I looked at the justice manual. It seems to just say, you know, when someone is not Called to testify, they are encouraged to notify them the way that, that Trump has now been notified that he is a target in this investigation.
3: They can. It's not required. It's definitely not required. It's something that I've seen very rarely, only in, in again, in cases where they are trying to uh, encourage the uh, potential defendant to come in and cooperate and to try and cut a plea uh, or a cooperation deal pre-charge.
0: What is your sense? uh, I mean, Trump himself says he thinks he's going to face charges here. What do you think he'll be indicted for?
3: Well, I've heard reporting that this uh, target letter mentions obstruction of justice and, uh, you know, witness tampering, you know, allegedly tampering with uh, with Mike Pence, you know, in that proceeding. Uh, And those seem to be kind of what they're looking at. At the same time, uh, it's an odd time to be bringing those because certainly whether obstruction is something that applies to a proceeding like this is something that's already before the uh, circuit court in a unrelated case. And so that's the kind of thing that you would think before taking the unprecedented step or now no longer unprecedented. Uh, but the unusual step of charging a former president, you'd wait and see what the appellate court says as to whether this is even uh, legally you know, fits within the statute. Uh, You know, it sounds to me like there's nothing in there about, you know, inciting an insurrection or anything like that. So it really does come down to the obstruction, which has several, you know, legal impediments to it. You know, not only uh, the issues that are being decided by the appellate court, but also corrupt intent.
0: Well, we don't know what the charges are. I mean, we've there has been some reporting. I know, obviously, Correct. they're referenced in this in this target letter. I haven't seen it. I, w- I would obviously like to, but we'll see what they decide. But uh, the former president, your, former, your <laughs> former client, is responding tonight. This is what he said.
1: So they can cheat on an election, but if somebody wants to question the cheating, they want to call you a conspiracy theorist and all these other things. These people are sick.
0: Tim, when you hear that, I mean, what happened was way more than just questioning the results, right?
3: Well, and a lot of that is a matter of perspective, because, you know, certainly on one hand, you could sit there and say all these steps were taken to overturn the results of the election. But on the other hand, if he truly believed that there was fraud, uh, whether you agree with him or not, if he truly believed it and if his team truly believed it, what steps would you expect them to take you know you would expect them to take the steps of saying hey let's slow down the process and let's try to verify these things kick it back to the states to make sure that the election results are accurate so it is definitely one of those things where you know it's it's not clear it can be interpreted multiple ways I mean, it's not like it's not as simple as watergate where you either break into a hotel room and it's a clear crime anybody on either side of the aisle could see that Here it is much more open to interpretation.
0: But is it really open to interpretation if you have governors that he was pressuring to do things that Brian Kemp of Georgia, Doug Ducey of Arizona, they said that they couldn't do. He was trying to get Mike Pence to do things that Mike Pence said he couldn't do. Of course, we had Rudy Giuliani and these other attorneys going into states and trying to get these slates of fake electors. I mean, that's more than just questioning. it. I mean, they they had 60 court cases that, that were all thrown out.
3: Well, a lot of those court cases were thrown out on standing issues, and they were really thrown out pre-discovery. As to pressuring people to do things that the people say they can't do, that's one of those things where you really have to look into it and say, were they really pressuring them to do something that is you know clear black-letter law that they're not allowed to do? Or again, is it one of those things where it's open to interpretation? When it comes to Mike Pence, obviously there are different interpretations as to what his powers are under the electoral college act. And it's one of the reasons why Congress you know, then went to amend the act to kind of close it and make it a lot more clear that his role is purely ceremonial because there was confusion and there were different well, interpretations. I don't, I don't Just think because there- because you're asking somebody to do something, I mean, and people can disagree on this. That's the thing. That's what makes it open to interpretation. Most people,
0: I would say, it's not open to interpretation. I mean, Pence certainly did not believe that. The attorneys that he talked to didn't believe that. I mean, John Eastman thought that. I guess he says it's open to interpretation. But, Tim, I want to also ask you, because, as we mentioned, you're an attorney for Bernie Carrick, the former New York City police commissioner Mm -hmm. who had dealings with Rudy Giuliani's efforts to overturn the election. Has he gotten a target letter in this investigation? No, no. Do you anticipate that he will?
3: Absolutely not.
0: Why do you not think he'll get one?
3: Why would he? He hasn't done anything wrong. He was an investigator, and everything he did was was legal and appropriate. You know, He was hired to go out there and do an investigation to try and see if there was evidence of fraud. Uh, he presented what he found to the January 6th committee. He explained that based on His experience and what they found, uh, he believed that it formed probable cause to believe the fraud had been committed. You know, not proof beyond a reasonable doubt or anything like that, but probable cause that he believed was something that warranted further investigation. But based on the limitations of of his uh, abilities, you know, lack of subpoena power, lack of time, resources, things like that, that it needed to be further investigated by other people. You know, that's what he passed up. Okay. That's what he told January 6th committee.
0: Has he told Nobody's the special really counsel been able that? To, has has you, there been any has there been a request for an interview or has he sat down for an interview?
3: We we expect to sit down and explain that to the special counsel as well. Sure.
0: Oh, when do you expect to do that?
3: Uh, we haven't scheduled again.
0: OK, but you but are, but are in talks has, with the special Mr. counsel. Carrick about that. He has
3: nothing to hide. He's. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Mr. Carrick has nothing to hide. He's happy to sit down and explain everything to them.
0: Okay, that's news. We did not know that uh, that he was in talks to to sit down with them. So thank you for clearing that up. I want to also ask you about what happened in Florida today. You saw people that used to work with Trump's current legal team. They told Judge Cannon they didn't believe that she should schedule a new trial date for the documents case. But Todd Blanche said that if if she were that they proposed mid-November or later next year. Obviously, that would be after the election. Do you do you really think they can't go to trial before November?
3: I think that, practically speaking, uh, federal criminal cases do take that long. However, it is a little bit odd to be asking for that type of a trial date at this early stage of the game. Ordinarily, trial dates are set, and everybody knows that it's not going to happen on that date, and you have you know, five, six, seven more adjournments, you know, throughout the process. And so, you know, these cases do take over two years uh frequently, but they take but they take them in like three to five month increments of moving out the trial date, not right from the inception just yeah. hey, push it out for two years. That's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, or even postponing it uh, indefinitely. Tim Parlatori, thanks for your right. insight into the Trump legal team and for, for breaking that news with us about your other client, Bernie Carrick. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: All right. Thank you.
0: Here with us now, former federal prosecutor Jennifer Rogers and former chief assistant DA for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, Karen Agnifilo. Thank you both for being here. Let's start with you on the news that he just made about the idea that they seem to still be in talks with the special counsel's office in the January 6th investigation to have Bernie Kerrick come and sit down with them, Trump already got a target letter. Is it possible that they're still very much investigating, even though they may be about to bring charges for Trump?
4: Well, we don't really know the extent of uh, the charges that are going to be brought with this particular target letter or who else is going to be part of it. This could just be a case only with Donald Trump. And then there's another case with other defendants like Rudy Giuliani, et cetera. We just don't know. And and Jack Smith, for example, might want to have a streamlined case to try to get a case uh, to trial before the election. He probably reads the tea leaves in Florida that Eileen Cannon is going to you know, given adjournment here, given adjournment there. And, and you know, it, it, it's sort of death by a thousand cuts, we've said, that, you know, where it eventually pushes it out so far. She, Eileen Cannon is no friend of Jack Smith, right? She's a Trump appointee who's already uh, made rulings in, in a prior matter, you know, towards Donald Trump. So Jack Smith might be looking for a streamlined case that realistically could go to trial. And so there might be other investigations with other people involving the same involving January sixth, and, and we just don't know.
0: That's potentially why they've already sent this target letter. I, I should note she did express some skepticism towards the Trump team, you know, saying indefinitely. But when you look at the target letter today, Jennifer, and you are we're wondering what the charges there could be. Obviously, we're still reading the tea leaves too. We don't know, but theoretically. Uh, do you agree with Tim that those could be the charges or could it be something else?
5: Well, it certainly could be something else. But, you know, he didn't talk about conspiracy against the United States, right? So obstruction was one thing. Civil rights violation was another, probably depriving the voters of their right to have their votes counted. But conspiracy against the United States could be a wide-ranging they call a Klein conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct the functions of the U.S. government, meaning to undercut the election. So that is a conspiracy that could take into account the fake elector scheme, you know, pressure on these various officials, uh, pressure on Mike Pence, and all of these pieces pulled together. I agree with Karen. They're likely to maybe go more streamlined in the hopes of getting it litigated before the election, but it still could be a wide-ranging conspiracy and not just having to do with obstruction. Yeah,
0: I mean, there are so many different aspects of this investigation. I think that's what is we heard about what could be in this target letter. But, I mean, it's the fake elector scheme, which, of course, it's the pressure on the state official. It's pressure on Pence, pressure on Justice Department officials. I mean, when you look at this, this graphic of just how how expansive what he's looking at is. And we also know Will Russell, who was an aide to Trump in the White House and a personal aide to him out of the White House, is also still going to go and testify before the grand jury on Thursday for a third time. What does that signify to you?
4: at the end and we could see an indictment they could ask to vote as early as Thursday right after he testifies. I mean, the target letter gives Trump an opportunity to testify, it gives him until Thursday to do it. We know that there's one more witness. And so that I, I would expect that uh, if they are at the end, that they could ask the grand jury to vote as early as Thursday, and then we wouldn't know about it until Trump lets us know. Because the next thing that they would do, if he is indicted, is they would let Trump know, ask him to surrender, you know, pick a surrender date, and then of course Trump will tell us, you know through his social media or some other way. That's how we find out what's going on is usually through Yeah, Trump.
0: I mean, he's been the one to tell us every single time when he's gotten a target letter. Well, not the first time he got a target letter, but when he got indicted. I mean, what is What is your expectation of what the next step could be after something like that?
5: Well, I I think he will be indicted. I don't think there's any other reason to issue him a target letter other than saying, this is your chance to come in. And by the way, I I don't know what Mr. Palatora's experience is, but that is the reason to issue him a target letter, is to give him that chance so that he doesn't come back and say, gee, I wanted to go testify in front of the grand jury. How dare you deprive me of my opportunity? This takes away that argument, allows him to come in if he wants. But I think we'll see an indictment shortly after that. I think they're wrapping up.
0: So you disagree with Tim's argument there, which was that this is kind of for show or doesn't have value that you think it does have value to to give Trump a heads up, he may be charged.
5: I think the value is to take that argument away from him. I think they don't want him to come back and say, you know, I wanted to come in. You're not letting me speak. This is all a witch hunt. You know, he's saying that anyway, but this at least takes away that one argument. I think that's why they issued it.
0: Okay. Jennifer Rogers, Karen Agnifilo, thank you both. Much more to come tonight. More from Trump himself as he is bracing for a third possible indictment. Plus, the fake elector charges have begun. Will there be more to come in other battleground states? Is the special counsel also still looking to prosecute this? That's ahead. Tonight, former President Trump is attacking the Justice Department again after revealing that he is the target of the special counsel's election probe. This is him in Iowa earlier tonight.
6: They go after Trump, but they don't go after terrorists. They should give a little of that uh, oomph
0: to going after the terrorists. Maggie Haberman, a senior political correspondent for The New York Times, joins me now. Uh, I mean, to hear him saying that I don't think is surprising. It came pretty unprompted. He's at this Elks Lodge event in Cedar Rapids, and he just started uh, uh, talking about it. I mean, what's your sense from your reporting about what his reaction to this was privately?
2: So he was... uh, For somebody who's not great at keeping other people's secrets, he can be very good at keeping his own. And he was not especially chatty with people in his circle about this over the last two days. He ended up putting it out because they got a news inquiry about it. And he was trying to get ahead of it because, as we have seen with his previous two indictments, this is not yet an indictment, but it's a likely one. uh, He wanted to control the narrative. And so that's what he did here. I heard he was somewhat cranky on his way to Iowa today, but it was basically a normal plane ride. He's obviously not happy. And he is facing, Caitlin, and he knows this these are significant charges potentially, uh, you know, in, in January 6th in the documents case, uh, potentially in Georgia as well, with serious jail time. And he knows this. And so that is weighing on him very seriously.
0: Yeah. And I mean, he's complaining in this town hall he did with Sean Annity that he got the letter on a Sunday yeah. night. Tim Parlatori was saying that they, he thinks it's more showy than it is substantive. But, I mean, they're essentially giving him four days if he wants to come before the grand jury on Thursday not likely he's going to do that,
2: though. No, he, he's, they're going to decline that offer, is what our reporting is. And, and I understand what Parlatore is saying about it being showy. It's unusual to get a target letter on a Sunday, so much so that I had to fact check that Trump was correct. Because, as you know, Trump is not always the best source about Trump. Um, but it is true. That is when the letter came to his lawyers. Um, it is in your face by the Justice Department. But I don't think they're doing it to be showy. I think they're doing it to show that they don't really care the games that Trump is playing.
0: And this is obviously around January 6th, his efforts to overturn the election, which something you noted today. He, he's whitewashed. I mean, he's never mm-hmm. uh, felt that January 6th was what, what most people believed it was. But, I mean, he said he would pardon the rioters. He recorded a song with them. He said these were peaceful people. These were great people. Uh, I mean, this is something that his base buys into. They're confronting people like Mike Pence about it on the campaign trail.
2: 100%. And he started doing this. I know there is, there is some belief that... He's gotten more extreme in the last two years. I don't think that's true at all. He's always been the same. It's just that he's much more vocal about what he actually thinks. For the first year out of office, he was off Twitter. He wasn't doing a, a number of mainstream media interviews. He is much more vocal now and more public, and he had you know, Truth Social, his social media website, beginning in 2022. So that gave him a platform to say all of these things, and then his rallies, where he started leaning into it much more. And so, yes, he has basically you know, melded this into his campaign and his candidacy. And as you say, his voters, his supporters believe what he says about that day. A number of them, you know, a a number of people who I know aren't happy with what happened on January 6th still say things to me like, and these are his supporters, say things to me like, but I don't like what's happening with the people who were arrested. And so you are going to keep hearing that as we go forward.
0: Yeah. And, He had this court date in Florida today. He didn't have to show up for it. His co-defendant, Walt Nada, did. But he didn't have to be there for it. But, I mean, the idea that he missed that because he was in Iowa for this campaign event, now if he is going to indeed face charges here like he says he is, I mean— that's a series of indictments that his attorneys have to deal with. I mean, what's your sense of how they're grappling with all of this?
2: They're struggling. I mean, they're looking at potentially four different jurisdictions—D.C., Florida, New York, Georgia. There, he's also facing civil trials. There's one in October. There's uh, two in January. One is Eugene Carroll, and one is a, a pyramid scheme case— uh, it, it is a maze of legal activity, and it's sort of ironic because Donald Trump is somebody who has, you know, provided a blizzard of legal paperwork against enemies over and over and over. And you're seeing him now have to be on the other side of that. But his lawyers are struggling with the the crush of this. I think that, I don't think that they feel like it's insurmountable, but it's a lot.
0: Yeah. And one thing we know that they're looking at with uh, with the January sixth investigation is Trump's mindset mm-hmm. itself, and acknowledging that he lost. What Tim Parlatore was saying there is it's plausible that he he believed that he won the election. That could be a defense. Mm -hmm. But his own aides went and testified, including former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, his former communications director, another former aide who was in the West Wing, all saying he he knew he lost.
3: He says words to the effect of, yeah, we lost. We need, we need to let that issue go to the next guy, meaning
4: President Biden. He said, can you believe I lost to this effing guy? Mark raised it
5: with
0: me on the eighteenth.
4: team I said, "Like, does the
5: president really think that he lost? And he said, you know, a lot of times he'll tell me that he lost, but he wants to keep
0: fighting it. With all the people, that's who went before the Congressional Committee. With all the people who have gone before Jack Smith, who do you think he's the most worried about?
2: Uh, I, would, <laughs> I would suspect all of them, frankly, but um, but I think that uh, Mark Meadows being interviewed before a grand jury, as we understand that he was, I think is... Uh, something that is is of concern to him. I think that Meadows knows more than almost anyone. Now, we don't know exactly what Meadows said. We don't know what he was asked. We don't know, you know, the extent of his involvement. And I think it's also important to note that just because somebody cooperates with an investigation doesn't mean cooperator in the way people think of it. But I think that Mark Meadows is is the person he is the most concerned about. And
0: they don't seem to have a good indication of what Mark Meadows has said. It seems it's been pretty quiet for most of them.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of guessing going on in that world about Meadows. There's been a lot of suspicion about Meadows for some time now. It's been months and months and months. I expect that's going to continue uh, as we move forward. It's going to become clear, a lot of this, Caitlin who talked. It's going to become clear to him who talked. We know that he has this 84-person witness list in the documents case. If he is charged in this case, which is not a definite, by the way, it's not a done deal, but it is likely with a target letter. If he is charged by Jack Smith in something connection with January 6th, it will eventually become apparent to him who among his aides and in his world was talking. And that always becomes a, a different set of anxiety for him.
0: Yeah. Maggie Haberman, it's going to be a busy week for us. Yes, it will be. (laughs) Thank you. As Donald Trump is now bracing for that potential third indictment, top House Republicans are running swiftly, as they usually do to his defense. Even one of his arch rivals in 2024 is as well, Governor Ron DeSantis. He did so right here on CNN. Hear it next. For President Trump says he has gotten a target letter from the special counsel regarding the January 6th investigation, he, that likely means that charges are potentially coming on that investigation. We'll wait to see. Meanwhile, 2024 rival and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was asked about that target letter by Jake Tapper this afternoon.
7: Jack Smith has um, prosecuted Democrats, too. I mean, he prosecuted or at least was part of the prosecution of Senator Menendez, uh, Senator John Edwards. Are you saying that if he finds evidence of criminality, he should not charge Donald Trump anyway? What, what I'm saying is... When you're going after
3: somebody on the other side of the political spectrum, if you're stretching statutes to try to criminalize maybe political disagreements, that is wrong. Now, look, this is all speculation, but I think we've gone down the road in this country of trying to criminalize uh, differences in politics rather than saying, okay, you don't like somebody then defeat them in the election rather than trying to use uh, the, the justice system. So we don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you with the brag one, that was stretching criminal law. The evidence of criminality was, was very weak, and even if that, that existed, other people would not have been charged under those circumstances. That's the problem.
0: Nikki Haley called the news a further distraction, while Vivek Ramaswamy said a dangerous precedent has been set A critic of Trump, Chris Christie, said uh, of Trump, quote, his lies have consequences. Asa Hutchinson said Trump's actions on January 6th should disqualify him from ever being president again. Here to discuss, CNN special correspondent Jamie Gangel, former senior advisor to President Obama, David Axelrod, and the former lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, Uh, David, I mean, when you listen to Governor DeSantis there, he he doesn't he mentions the New York case. He doesn't even mention. the documents. Well,
1: it's it's pretty disingenuous. This is a guy who was a jag in the military. If he had done, for example, with the documents, what President Trump did, he knows he would be in prison. And that's why he doesn't want to discuss that case. Everyone is afraid they're tiptoeing through the minefield because Donald Trump, is still popular within the Republican Party, and they don't want to take it head on.
0: Jeff, I mean, why are they tiptoeing through the minefield, as David puts it?
7: One, one of the, the most damaging effects Donald Trump's had on our party is that he's taught us to mistake honesty for weakness, mm. and and that's a fatal flaw. Uh, you watch these folks try to step up to the line and they think they're playing cute or, or some political advisors in their ear about the next fundraising. Look, th- there's no there's no other place to be on January 6th than it was wrong. There's no other place to be on the 2020 election than it was fair and legal. There's no other place to be on Ukraine than Vladimir Putin is a is a warmongering uh, thug. Uh, but yet he wants to blur all of this. I think this is a golden opportunity for somebody in this field to step up with with all the energy and strength in their in their body to step up and say, Donald Trump is wrong. I'm going to prove it. And I'm going to win the hearts and minds of Republicans so I can win a primary and then eventually beat Joe Biden.
0: Well, and not only are you not really seeing it on the 2024 trail, from except from the obvious candidates, but Jamie also... House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, had, of course, uh, let's just look at what he said in the days right after January 6th and what he is saying now after learning about this today.
1: If you notice recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding.
8: And Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, it, go, it goes on and on. Jared Kushner once said that Donald Trump had hijacked the Republican Party. And I think what you're seeing is evidence of that right there. You know, as, as Jeff said Kevin McCarthy did have that moment after January 6th, but then he went running down to Mar-a-Lago. And they know that Donald Trump is where the money is and where the votes are, and they're not willing to give that up. One thing that Kevin McCarthy said that I think is worth um, underscoring, Republican allies like Kevin McCarthy keep talking about how this is unprecedented and how it is weaponized. We can't forget that it is unprecedented because no former president has ever tried to uh, overturn an election and send his supporters up to the Capitol to stop Can it. I just
1: add something to this? The thing that is most disturbing about this is that in furtherance of saving Donald Trump and uh because of the the concerns that you just expressed. You have the Speaker of the House and other people who know better casting really vile assertions uh, uh, about the the rule of law in this country. What will it mean, actually? Think about this. What does it mean if Donald Trump, who could be twice, three times, four times indicted, perhaps convicted, what would it mean for him to be the nominee of the Republican Party, perhaps elected president, uh, and all of these people who know better saying, yeah, the system was corrupt, the system was politicized. It is a, this is a bigger moment for the American uh, experiment than merely what happens to Donald Trump. And the people who are saying what Kevin McCarthy said are going to have a real black mark uh, when the history of this period is, is, is written.
0: You agree with that, Jeff?
7: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. I mean, I think... If you splash enough truth serum across Republican circles, a fraction of people actually think the election was rigged, right? Just a thin, thin fraction. One of the most surprising things to me when I got elected to office a few, or 10 years ago as a complete outsider was how shallow these folks were. I thought I was going to walk into a room full of leaders. These aren't leaders. They won an election, but they weren't leaders. If we want to get this country back on track as conservatives, we got to skate to where the puck is going, and that's genuine leadership. Brian Kemp and other governors in the South that really led through the pandemic, economic growth, and other areas, I think, should be a model for, for folks to follow.
0: Stay with us. We're going to talk about another huge development that happened today, this time out of Michigan, where we are seeing for the first time charges, felony charges related to that plot to overturn the 2020 election. Some of these are suspects in their 70s and their 80s. We'll tell you more. Tonight, the Michigan Attorney General announcing charges against 16 people in the fake elector scheme in their state, each of them being charged with eight felonies. These charged include current and former state Republican officials, a Republican National Committee member, a sitting mayor, a local school board member, and Trump supporters who were the plaintiffs in a lawsuit that tried to overturn the 2020 election results. You see their faces here. They range in age, as you can see, from 55 to 82. This is the first time that any of the fake electors have been charged for a crime related to that scheme. Of course, it is something that is being investigated. Today, in a statement, the attorney general for Michigan, Dana Nessel, addressed the charges.
2: They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors, and each of the
0: defendants knew it. My panel's back with me. I mean, David, when you look at that and you look at... I was, what I was so struck by are the ages of many of these people mm-hmm. who, who have served in Republican politics yeah. in Michigan... For for years, for look, decades.
1: I, I think you know. You look at some of the people who were there on January sixth, uh, who were bankers and lawyers, and you know, the, there were people who were given to believe that they were doing their patriotic duty, that this and 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 apparently, if you look at the uh, the January sixth commission, uh, this was a, a, an effort that was run through the Republican National Committee, uh, that was orchestrated by uh by the trump campaign uh so they thought they were doing their duty uh by doing this doesn't excuse what they did they were told not to bring their phones in they were told not to record anything it was obvious that they were doing something uh it should have been obvious that they were doing something wrong but there's gonna there are gonna be a lot of lives strewn across the road ruined uh by the schemes of
7: donald trump
0: i mean jeff You're from, you were the lieutenant governor in Georgia. I mean, I imagine in Georgia, a very similar scene is playing out.
7: Yeah, I had to do a double take when I looked at this board because it looks like a carbon copy of in Georgia, right? It's this large swath of successful folks, retired folks, members of the community, donors, party activists, some elected, some statewide elected. The the gentleman who who took my position as lieutenant governor after I decided not to run was on there, and so was the head of our state party. But this goes to the, the breadth and depth of the lie. Right? I mean, my wife and I couldn't go to the grocery store without somebody coming up, somebody that we went to our kids went to school with or we went to church with coming up and calling us out and questioning us on. You took money from this. You rigged the Dominion machines. I mean, this this was an intense lie that that Donald Trump just fed on and those around him.
1: I think we I think, Caitlin, we, we should make clear they're looking at this in Georgia. They're looking at it in Arizona presumably the, the, the feds are looking at this as well as part of this January 6th investigation. This is one thread, and when you pull on it, I think it's going to be a lot more expense uh, extensive fabric than just what happened in Michigan.
0: Well, and that's a great question for you, Jamie. I mean, as you do look at that, because this is the Michigan State investigation. Right. Of course, that's why you saw their attorney general announcing it. How does that fit into the special counsel's probe, which we know is looking at the fake electors?
8: We don't know yet, but let's keep in mind these are state charges, and there, there's no question that I'm sure that the special counsel is also looking at this. We know people have have been interviewed. But if Donald Trump does become the Republican nominee, if he is re-elected president, one of the things we've heard him say is that he's likely to pardon a lot of people. If these folks are charged, uh, they've been charged, but if they're convicted... He cannot pardon them. So the question is, will some of them flip? Will some of them testify? Are there documents, emails, back to the White House or the RNC? He can't RNC? pardon them
1: because they're state charges. Because charged.
8: they're state charges, not federal charges. So this starts on the state level, but it may fit into the federal case. But big picture, no pardons for these people. It, it's
7: been reported in Georgia in the AJC. I read uh, several times that there's up to eight of these faux electors that have uh, decided to cooperate uh, um, out, of, out of, I believe, 16. I mean, yeah, all the stories going back and forth and the mountains of information that are out there. I mean, these are real serious charges, but I think it plays to the political problem that we have. This type of scenario playing out does not win the middle, and we can't win the White House as Republicans if we don't win the middle.
0: And Brian Kemp says you can't win the White House if you don't win Georgia. We'll see what that looks like. Jeff Duncan, David Axelrod, Jamie Gangel. thank you all. Coming up, the further we get from January 6th and what happened that day... The more Donald Trump has tried to essentially whitewash what happened. But it's important to remember, people died. Police officers were brutally attacked. One of those officers will join me next. Of course, what we have been talking about tonight is Trump's revelation that he has gotten a target letter in the special counsel's January 6th investigation. Of course, this comes in the years since Trump has tried to downplay what happened that day. Of course, here are the facts. Five officers died in the days and the months following January 6th. One of the rioters who entered the Capitol that day was also shot and killed. As many as 140 police officers were injured that day. One of the officers who was there at the Capitol that day is Officer Daniel Hodges. you will remember the disturbing video of him as he was being attacked by the rioters. One of the most indelible images from that day, he was pinned and in, against inside that door, assaulted by rioters in the doorway as it was leading into one of the Capitol building's tunnels. Joining me tonight is officer Daniel Hodges. Officer, thank you for being here. I just wonder what went through your mind this morning when you when you heard the news that Trump did get a target letter in this investigation signaling that charges are coming.
6: I was glad, I was happy. I thought, you know, it's about time. Um, I'm not uh, privy to the nature of the investigation, how long it takes, what, I, what all they have to do. But I know that me and so many others have been holding our breath for the past two and a half years waiting for this trial to get started. And, you know, this is an important step in the process.
0: Does it does it feel like accountability or do you think you won't know that until it gets to the end of that process?
6: Yeah, it's it's not accountability yet because it's this is just the beginning, really. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's just the beginning um, accountability would be him being uh, found guilty for the crimes he's committed, and then his uh, name being held in cultural contempt as it should be. And we're still a ways off from both of those, I'm afraid.
0: What do you make of him saying tonight on the campaign trail that he was just, you know, that he has a right to question the results of the election when clearly it was so much more than just questioning the results of the election? <laughs>
6: I, I don't really care what he says at this point. It's, I'm more interested in what everyone else says because he's going to do everything he can to you know, lie and deceive. We've already seen that from him. He, of course he has the right to question the election. Um, he had no evidence of uh, anything, any foul play. Well, he lost all his court cases, and he didn't just question the election. He tried to overthrow it. He tried to um, take over the executive branch by undemocratic means.
0: When he says things like he wants to pardon people who were convicted of crimes that day, the people who beat up you and your fellow police officers, what's your reaction to that?
6: I mean, of course he's going to say that. He, he wants as many people on his side as possible. He could have pardoned them back in January 7th, but... Uh he didn't. He's. He doesn't really care about them. He cares about himself, and he's going to say and do whatever he needs to do to get as much support as possible because that's what he thinks. What what he thinks is going to get him out of this.
0: You're still an officer. I mean, how has your day to day life changed since January six?
6: <laughs> it hasn't. I'm a. I'm a patrol officer. I, I just go out on the street every day and do what I can to stop crime, and when it happens, investigate who did it. So that's. I mean, I was, I was out for a few weeks on injury after January 6th, but after, other than that, it hasn't really changed my, uh, my day-to-day at all.
0: Officer Daniel Hodges, thank you for that service, and thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you. We also have brand new details tonight about a mysterious circumstance. What happened with a U.S. soldier who now we believe has been detained in North Korea? Tonight, we are learning new details about the U.S. soldier who is believed to be in North Korean custody. The Army says he is Private Travis King, a cavalry scout who enlisted in January 2021. Defense Secretary Austin says that he willfully and without authorization crossed the demilitarized zone while on a tour of what is known as the joint security area between North Korea and South Korea. Sources tell CNN that King spent 50 days in a detention facility in South Korea before this, he was facing disciplinary action for assault. He was about to be separated from the Army and had even been escorted to the airport to fly back to the U.S., but he never boarded that plane. we will tell you more as we learn it in that case. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. See you in prime time with Barcodes starts right now.
7: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
6: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast.